Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 26, The Gem Hadar. Teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear and directed by Kim Friedman. This episode aired on June 12, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, on a camping trip to the Gamma Quadrant, Cisco, Jake, Nog, and Quark encounter the ruthless soldiers of the Dominion, the titular Gem Hadar. <laughs> the titular. <laughs> it's the titular role. Um, I rewatched Lady Bird earlier this year, and uh, holds up. Good movie. Um, I've only seen it once. I enjoyed the mother daughter stuff, but I did not relate to like the Catholic school stuff at all. Um, so it kind of took me not. I don't mean it in like a. If this story is not about someone just like me, I don't like it. Kind of. I realize it might have come off that way, but like, yeah, it didn't, I just didn't I, vibe. I think. We- yeah. I didn't vibe with that part of it. That's all. What about fuckboy Timothy Chalamet? Um, I am probably... Am I old enough to be his mom? I'm not sure. So, yeah. Probably not. Um, I think he's like in his mid-20s. I mean, you're probably like genetically oh, old enough. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not old He was enough. born in 95. He's 26. Yeah. I wasn't having sex in 1995 yet, so... Because I was only 13, so... Yeah. That is so. No, you couldn't be his mom. No, I couldn't. Um, but also, I feel like I could be his mom. So, I look at him as a little baby. Sorry to infantilize you, Timothy Chalamet. If you ever hear that, yeah. And Rebecca Ferguson is three years older than me. She's a, you're born in Natsudoxio. No, Rebecca Ferguson's a year younger than you. She was born in '83. Oh. Sorry, I just had to do the math. <laughs> so that's who plays his mother. So anyways. I mean, yeah. I can anyways, also be doing her. Dude I can age also, discourse. I could also be her mommy, but like in a different kind of way. <laughs> um, Yeah, so. All right. Hadar. So this week we're starting with the Altair Water Thirst Quencher for Dune. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I did not specifically remember this episode of Deep Space Nine. But, what? Yeah, I know. But, like, we made it to the end of the season. Are you so excited about this? One vacation, a new job, a bout of illness, major <laughs> work projects, you yes. know, in between and later since since our last recording. But, yeah, we're here. We made it. We did it. Or we're about to do it when this is over anyway. Yeah, no, that's exactly. That's that's exactly it. We're in the process of doing it. In we the process. It. The process. Yeah, we're saying goodbye to, I guess, costume spoilers if you're following along for the first time. But we're saying goodbye to the Next Generation era combadge that premiered in 1986 in Encounter at Farpoint. The nice Delta with the circle. It's gone. We're saying goodbye to it forever. I never notice things like that. <laughs> like, I notice... All right, let me rephrase that. Like, I will notice if, like, the main uniform changes. But, like, yeah. when I first was watching Do You Space Nine and then, like, TNG, like, I didn't know that those things happened. So I, like, never really paid attention to it. Like, in my mind, you know, Picard's just wearing the same uniform all seven years. <laughs> 
even though that's not what actually happened. Or did did they have the same one on TNG? No, they changed. So like okay. in season, like for the main cast, anyways. But they like had them blooded for a bit, right? So like they got rid of like that first jumpsuit because it was causing the actors back problems, and they like oh, kind of hated it. So gave them like. A two-piece thing starting in season three, it's but a lot piece. of the background actors still like wore the same one. And even if you like, if you're watching really closely in the third season of Next Gen, as they go through it, they're still kind of like tweaking the uniform and they move some of the the darting around and stuff. Oh, okay, um, I know about darting, but I've worn yeah because some of the early episodes <laughs> they have two like darts kind of right on the the front. Um, but yeah, basically Voyager was coming, so they added a new comm badge. And Voyager ended up wearing the DS9 uniforms, and Generations ended up having the new comm badge. Those movie budgets just for the new stealing movie. everything. Well, they had whole new uniforms, hey? And they're like, oh, this is too many like new things. So that's why at, mm. at like the last minute, they ended up like borrowing costumes from Deep Space Nine. Got it. And so like... That's why Riker's sleeves in Star Trek Generations are too short. Oh, yeah. Because he's wearing every Brooks costume. Okay. I, that and... was the first Star Trek movie I saw in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. It came out this year. It was 94. Um, it came out that fall. And, like, this was the first Star Trek episode, actually, the, the Jem'Hadar, that aired after the TNG finale. So mm. when you see in the preview, there's episodes of the USS Odyssey being destroyed. People assumed that was the enterprise because this this aired after so they were like freaking out oh my god that's Um, wild but spoiler alert for generations that's what happens to the enterprise d in generations yes Uh, i love that movie because malcolm mcdowell is great please never tell me anything bad about that man i don't want to (laughs) know um well you know whose nephew is right no i forget i did know but i forget alexander oh i knew i almost said it dr bashir yeah. Oh, damn it. Um, so I really liked this episode. Um, I don't know that it was like super like meaty and like a themes in the themes department, but I found it really fun. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it like sets up, you know, future events. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. That was it, really, of that. It's kind of an interesting mishmash in tones right because it like it makes you think it's like a fun like science fair like camping trip episode with you know like a ferengi adjacent episode and then twists about halfway through to introducing you know the jemhadar and we finally like are introduced to parts of the dominion proper which we've kind of been tracking all season starting with um Quark and Pell's adventure to the Gamma Quadrant in, oh, what was it? Profit and Loss. Mm-hmm. Um, there where they, they try to make contact with the Dominion. So, like, this is the first introduction of, like, the Dominion is basically what we're finding in the Gamma Quadrant. And um, basically being a little bit of, I guess, of an, an anti-Federation based on, you know, the rumors and things like that that we've been been hearing about them over the course of the season. Um yeah yes i agree and it establishes like now that they've done this twice on deep space nine 
it becomes the norm and the pattern for DS9, which is different from Next Generation, where they close their season Mm -hmm. on something that moves the story forward, but it's not the, like, cliffhanger that TNG fell into, again, after season three. Yeah, TNG was always, like, when I watched watched, um, TNG, it was like, you always watched the season, because I was binging it, you always watched the season premiere as soon as you finished the season, because it was like, I need to know what happens next. This is a little bit... It has like a the it ha, it's like the seeds of future stories. It's mm-hmm. not like we need to yeah. finish up yeah, what's exactly. happening. Yeah, yeah. It's like they're, they're they're starting to basically whether they are aware of it or not. Definitely in hindsight, flirt with the serialization that the show will like. Right. You know, it finishes its run on like a ten episode arc. Right, which was like unheard of for Star yeah. Trek. I mean, I and don't really think season... that anyone does that now, except for the fact that, as like a partial season anyway, like now it would be like those would be the 10 episodes of Deep Space Nine if it came back or something like that. You know how like Picard has 10 episodes? Yeah. But like, I still yeah. don't think if like in a larger show, not that there's many shows that are on like that I watch anyway, that have 20-something episodes a season. But, like, for half of it to be one story and then the other half to be, like, random stories. Like, no I, no one has done that at all. Well, and, like, it's interesting. So, like, again, because we've had a bit of a break between, you know, recording and, like, releasing episodes, as we record this, um, the second episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds just came out. And, like, in some ways I feel like it's... it's uh, how do I want to phrase this without like being pejorative to anything else that ca- that came before? There's like a character continuity, like so it's episodic. Well, so far after two episodes, um, into being like a little planet of the week or crisis of the week, but definitely like the character arcs are carrying over, and like in a lot of ways, that feels very deep, deep space nine to me, as opposed to something like Picard or Discovery, which is very much in this like modern era post post sopranos po- golden age of television right. sort of post madman serialization right so to to borrow a trek pun again it's kind of like the best of both worlds yeah so what's interesting about this finale is they were playing with some of this concept from finale even as far back as season 1 um when they were working on the room of what the first season of Deep Space Nine's finale could be. And at one point, they're going to have a, like another crossover with Next Generation where both the Enterprise D crew and the DS9 crew join together to face some ruthless intergalactic invasion from the Gamma Quadrant. So you can definitely, even with them using the USS Odyssey and making it a galaxy-class ship, more on that later as we can talk about the episode where like there is some of that idea and and the dna of that um but in hindsight i'm i'm glad that they didn't close the first season that way because i really do like the first season finale of deep space nine in the hands of the prophets mm-hmm. um and making it its own story i think is really important because a lot of the first season was, hey, hey, we're new. Remember that here's the Duras sisters. Here's Q. Here's Bosch. It's like, let let it stand on its own, right? So. Uh, Q. I tweeted out today that uh, litigating the second season of Star Trek Picard is the new relitigating Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> that That's really funny. Yeah. 
we can just leave that there. Um, <laughs> thoughts, apologies to anyone from our Star Trek chat who's listening to this podcast. Um, also wanted to call out that the original script for this episode, when it mentioned the Jem'Hadar shroud effect, you know, when they like have these personal cloaking devices and come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the script mentions that it was similar to that that was employed by Tosk in season one. And it noted in the script, again, not on screen, but in the script as like intended when it was written, that the to- that the Tosk was engineered as a gift to the hunters as a reward for their loyalty for the Dominion, therefore establishing that the hunters and the Tosk were Dominion members. Um, later, Robert Hewitt Wolf, who was one of the, the writers on Deep Space Nine, confirmed, quote, and this is from the DS9 Companion, <clears throat> confirmed this connection saying, you want some Tosk that, that you can hunt? And the Vorta will provide them for you. The Vorta, the name of Eris's species that isn't said in this episode that we, we know later. Um, and the thought behind this was that the same people who bred the Toss as gifts to the Hunters bred the Jem'Hadar as well. Again, none of this is mentioned in the episode, but you can definitely see, I think, even a, a kind of spiritual sort of connection as well in some of the makeup as well. Yeah, I would like the Jem'Hadar a little more like rhino-y, and I read Tosk yeah. a little bit more as a lizard. But some of the the scales and and, yeah. and the texture on the skin is very similar. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if like the first time that I like wa- saw the Jem'Hadar, I thought it was Tosk. Like the first time around. <laughs> well, and like the Jem'Hadar like rifles later on are like they're the reuse of the the hunter's prop as well like they're they're slightly altered i think the kind of weird not bayonet bayonet spiky up and down thing gets thawed down a bit but like right in my head canon which again is just my personal opinion take it or leave it it's not on screen canon it's, it's just an opinion man <laughs> I really need to rewatch that. Um, I used <laughs> to rewatch too. it once a year, and then I, I, I haven't make, watched it in um, so many years. White Russians and like, you know, I've never up, had a white Russian, it. but I like. I'm also lactose intolerant, so lactose I try to intolerant limit. So there's a line in this episode that cracked me up so bad. I don't remember the specific like sentence, but Quark calls himself a humanoid, and I'm like. He would never say that. That felt really out of character to me. Um, it's like I can't imagine like a non-human person using that word. <laughs> I'm not saying he can't use it, you know, but it just felt weird. Like, like imagine like if it was like reverse and me being like, I'm a Vulcanoid. That like makes no sense. <laughs> Doesn't make well- any sense to me. Uh, this is where I go pedantic Star Trek Watcher. I'm going, well, actually, Vulcanoid is a term because that's the Mintakins and who watches the Watcher because they use Vulcan makeup on them. And that's when Ray Winstone appears on Star Trek. Or no, is it Ray, or Ray Wise? I just need everyone to know that I am rolling my eyes really hard right now. Yeah, Ray Wise, not Ray Winstone. Um, but, like, again, in fairness, dear listeners, I'm putting on an, a, a voice, so I'm not actually being that guy. Uh, well, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm it was actively joke. trying not to, but also, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was hello, a joke. self-awareness. It was a it's joke, a but I also partially meant it. <laughs> um, I was Ooh, called out. Uh, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, I mean, we could, like, headcanon it away that it's just, like, um... You know what? What we're hearing is the universal translator. But like, whenever Star Trek talks about 
you know, humanoid life forms like that. I also always think of Star Trek Six when um <laughs> what's her name? The she becomes the Chancellor. It starts with a V. Oh, um uh the daughter. Um I it's in my it starts with what letter you think? I thought it was V, but I can't. No, remember. you're the No, it's not V. That's Valeris. Valeris. It's Azipur. It's Azipur. Azabar. Azipur. Yeah. Um, when she's like, when they're talking about human rights at dinner. And she's yes. Like, human rights. By definition, human rights. It's inalienable human rights. It's, by the very definition, it's racist. Um, or speciesist, I guess. She I'm says racist. Uh, Star Trek is such a good. No, no, I know, yeah. but it's. But it's I'm just saying. I was saying like, you were quoting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. God, I love Star Trek, Elise. I'm sorry. We, we haven't recorded for a while, and we're talking about this, and yes. yeah, it's a little bit chaotic, but we've done, like, two seasons. We have five more to go, and I'm just I'm just feeling it. I'm just excited. Me too. Yay. Um, feeling this. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that later this. this year we get to podcast together in person. Just saying. Okay, well, you're just like saying that now because you just bought tickets. I you're know. like, you're like laying it out. I know. Um, I but like also like I'll get there and I'll be like, eh, we don't have to do this. Let's let's go get beers instead. <laughs> um. So I uh, when this episode started, I was really excited to see um, Cress Williams' name pop up in the uh, actors. And then I was so sad because he played a Jem Hadar character and his face was covered because <laughs> he's so cute. Um, he was the Jem Hadar guy that came down to like Deep Space Nine and told our friends to stay on their side of the wormhole. Other people may know Cress Williams as Mayor LeVon Hayes on Heart of Dixie, former Mr. Miranda Bailey and Tuck's dad on Grey's Anatomy, or Jefferson Pierce slash black lightning but my Cress williams love started on beverly hills 90210 where he played deshaun hardell he was a basketball player and which seems like so stereotypical um and it was a pretty juicy storyline because he had found out that brandon walsh was having an affair with their professor's wife so he blackmailed him into doing his homework for him so he could pass the class so he could stay playing basketball. <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> the 90s. Actually, this was his well, first role, and then that was his second role. I was looking it up. And we and we know that Kelly Taylor's mom is a Bajoran nurse. On Deep Space I know. Now, right? There's so much so crossover. It was the 90s. <laughs> um, that's something we'll have to like track is who plays like um Jem Hadar specifically on this episode on as we yeah. not on this episode but I like, don't know who played on, the other on Jem Deep Hadar Space Nine person. because I if I'm remembering correctly Clarence Williams the third who was Link on the the mod squad plays mm. a later Jem Hadar in kind of like a, a not similar role but like in yeah. like a speaking role Jem Hadar later so like let's hope they don't just class black cast black actors as speaking part Jem Hadar. So, we're going on a field trip. Let's get messy! Isn't that the Magic School Bus? <laughs> um, I think I'm... I am familiar with Magic School Bus. Um, You're probably a little too but, old. Yeah, but I do firmly believe that um, in my head canon that the teacher is Jewish. <laughs> she just, like, has that frizzy hair Ms. and Frizzle? she's just... Yeah. yeah. 
So, because I didn't remember this episode, I, like, obviously knew that the Jem'Hadar was going to come up because that was, like, you know, titular, et cetera, et cetera. The titular role. Um, I didn't remember that there was going to be, like, a Cisco, like, a Cisco uh, father-son uh, stuff in this one. Um, it was really cute, though, like, how um, Ben was so excited to, like, have Jake do, like, a better science project and, like, mm-hmm. actually do some, like, surveying and stuff. But, like, of course, Nog, like, tags along and and then Quirk tags along because he wants to, like, bend uh, Benjamin's ear about selling uh, <laughs> Vulcan edict pins. <laughs> um, but also, I, I was saying if Quirk actually did sell those, I would buy one in a heartbeat. Um but yeah, I really thought that was super funny that like he was like, I'm going to go away for this the weekend on this camping trip. I think like Quark would be better if it was a glamping trip. Quark and I are very similar <laughs> this way. Um, I mean, I've stayed at a cabin before, but like, you know, I'm good for like um, toilets and such. <clears throat> It was really nice listening to Ben and Jake uh, reminisce about Jennifer, Jake's mom. I got a little emotional. But yeah, so I definitely... Emotional. I, like, really wanted Quark to, like, come on this trip and just be, like, chanting Beverly Hills. What a thrill. Like, from True Beverly Hills. Um, Have you ever seen that movie? True Beverly Hills? No. Is that, like, Mulholland Drive? Oh, my God. No. Troop Beverly Hills <laughs> is Shelley Long, little baby Jenny Lewis in a movie together. Craig T. Like, Nelson. Like, like the musician Jenny Lewis? Yeah. It was her first acting wow. role. I'm seeing her in September. Um, My friend bought tickets and then invited me and I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to see Jenny Lewis. Anyway, so Shelley Long. It, so it's like... um. The Wilderness Girls is like, it's like their version of the Girl Scouts or whatever. And Shelly mm-hmm. Long is like this like rich mom. And um, Jenny Lewis, I think, was her daughter. I haven't seen it in a really long time. But like basically like the kids in this troop are like not into camping. They don't know what the heck they're doing. They're covered in mud. But like they end up like miserable. But it's really cute. Just about like being a little girly. Anyway, Shelley Long looks fabulous in it. Oh, Carla Gugino is in it. What? And Tori Spelling is in it. <laughs> it all comes back to 90210. I know. And Craig T. Nelson. I feel like. Mr. Incredible himself. Um, I just feel like you have to watch this movie. Maybe I'll make us watch it when I come visit. Um, anyway. So, yeah. Quark is like the true Beverly Hills. What if we got matching group. tattoos? Oh, yeah. We we definitely should do that. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about it a little bit. Sorry. This recording is chaos. This is why we can't go this long without <laughs> We probably should have just, like, had a phone call tonight instead. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. I don't have anything else to comment about the field trip, really. Well, and it's just, like, really, like we were talking about before, it's, like, 
an interesting mashup of tones and like i get why this episode is important um as like you know it's foundationalness to like the continuing saga that is deep space nine i just don't know if i actually like it as an episode and like i don't know if it like once you know and this is again you know <laughs> and if you forced do- with future knowledge like with the you know yeah. the the sense of like future knowledge it's like i don't know if this one holds up for me as much as some of the other ones like on a rewatch because right. i think there are like better Jem'Hadar episodes to come and like it's such like an interesting mix of tones because you have a fun camping trip and then a ship that is very much supposed to be representative of the enterprise ends up getting destroyed when there's a suicide run by the Jem'Hadar on it right yeah like there were some very serious parts um, I actually almost cried in this episode. Um, when specifically, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, it was, I was going to probably mention it later, but honestly, I cried. I did cry when the Odyssey blew up, um, which is like we hadn't seen such a devastating loss on Deep Space Nine in like a while. And I know like the non-essential folks were not on there anymore. And besides that guy we just met, we didn't like lose anyone that we really knew. Like we, we didn't, but like it just felt really a big deal. And I know it's because it looked like the enterprise. Yep. And like, that was 100% intentional, right? Yeah. And like the choice to make it the Odyssey of Galaxy class ship. Um, and this is again, Robert, a Robert Hewitt Wolf quote, excuse me from the Deep Space Nine companion, we wanted to show the long-term fans how dangerous these guys were being the Jem'Hadar and the Dominion. It's my belief that if it had been the Enterprise and not the Odyssey and Picard rather than Keogh in command, it still wouldn't have survived. And then Wolf also said, and this is from the What We Have Left Behind, the, the Deep Space Nine documentary, we had this crazy idea to blow up a ship that looked like the Enterprise as our season two finale. And that kind of implied something. And yeah, I don't know if it, like, again, holds up totally, like, on a rewatch, because we do see other Galaxy-class ships once they're out of the movies. It was a ship that, that like, DS9 could use more lightly. Like, we never see, like, a Sovereign-class ship, which is what the Enterprise is in Deep Space Nine, even though it'd be a contemporary ship to it, because they wanted to reserve it to the movies. Um, but, yeah, it definitely, like, has had an impact, and, like, I still think to today has a, a certain amount of impact. Um, also, to tease out early season three episodes, in the off-season, it made the writers think about um, certain additions that they made to the show for season three as a result of this episode. But let's put a pin in that for now. <laughs> um, I did really find, um, just to go back to like the Jem'Hadar as like a group, um, it was really funny to me when they did, like, catch up with the Jem'Hadar and, you know, they get captured and the one guy was like, I'm, I was hoping to meet a Klingon. Um, that really amused me because, like, of course this, like, soldier type species or species used as soldiers would want to, like, meet other warriors. Like, that felt really... Um, that felt like it would be real. Like that would really be what happened. What would happen in that situation? Um, 
<clears throat> I will say that as the episode like went on, while I didn't, I don't know if I like it hinted at me again or if I just remembered. Like, let me re- okay, rewatching this episode, it doesn't hit as much on the plot twist because going into it you know that the species of that woman is on the side of the Dominion because you've seen it before. So, like, that twist didn't land as much for me. But that could be just, you know, the rewatch factor of it. Like, it wasn't dramatic enough for it to be, like, rewarding again. Or, like, not rewarding, but, like, interesting still. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, I agree. Um, and like, I guess forward ahead 30 seconds if you are somehow following along for the first time. Um, the Dominion, for being like the anti-Federation, gets flattened into three three species, and we meet two of them in this episode. So just intrinsically, you see, they're still unnamed, but Vorta makeup and like, Oh, that's one third of the Dominion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was kind of like, like at first I was like, oh, that's weird. And then like a few sec, like I was watching it like a little bit into her meeting them. Um, I was like, oh yeah, she's, she's lying to them. <laughs> I remember. But like, I don't think I remembered from like the episode. I just, you know, was like, okay, Vorta bad. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't really have much to comment about the actual rescue, except for the f- the part where um, O'Brien beamed aboard the runabout to save the boys, because that really, I really love that. Um, Miles and Jake just have this like older brother uncle type of relationship um, yeah. in some ways that yeah. really works for me. Um, O'Brien is someone he can talk to when he thinks his dad won't understand or like and that is such a important thing for like a young person to have. I like I am really into Miles. Oh yeah. As we go through on this rewatch and I've never like been anti Miles Edward O'Brien <laughs> right. like to be clear but like I just don't know if I ever like fully appreciated right how awesome he was um in a lot of ways cardassian racism aside even though it is informed by his trauma so i i understand it's still not great um right don't like it endorsements are not retweets or retweets are not endorsements but uh yeah there's just it, it's like that star trek 2 thing right where like in spock's eulogy Kirk says that of all the souls I've encountered in my travels, Spock's was the most human. And I 100% believe that to this day. Um, it's also, spoiler alert, Spock is like tied with Kira as my all-time favorite mm-hmm. Star Trek character. Um, but Miles just really is that human. And he was more than a hero. He was a union man. Mm. Um, yeah. So I have some comments to make about Colmini. Please. Colmini is the same age as my mother. But in 1994, Colmini was one year older than me than I am now. Yeah. So not to like, it, not that it matters because we, we don't really give a shit about age discourse as long as everyone's legal. 
um, and not being exploited. Um, yeah, Jerry Seinfeld. Fuck you. Like, Colmini's hot. Miles is maybe slightly less hot than Colmini, but, like, also hot. So, like, they could both get it. Character and person. I'm also pretty sure he's a Sinn Féin supporter, so we love Irish Republicans, don't we, folks? American Republicans, bad. Irish Republicans, good. Um, My favorite Irish Republican is um, Tom Branson from Downton Abbey. Uh, yes, but like, no. not to get into Downton Abbey no, discourse, Julian being... Fellows can't help himself, no, I'm and ki- he totally yeah. neuters it. No, he totally like, does, he you're to- right. Um, but I was saying that because like, that's the only one I know. <laughs> all, all Fanians need, according to Julian Fellows, is to fall in love with a nice daughter of an English lord, yes. and then move to Boston for a while, and they'll come back and... End it at Tom Branson and leave it at that. Because <laughs> um, that part was amusing. Um, but yeah, Colmini is great. And I just really love his relationship with Jake. It just makes me really happy. Poor- yeah. And like, there's some good Jake and dog stuff, like on the runabout. And he's like, oh, like, you know, when they're trying to like escape and do like the rescue mission, it's just, is this episode is like fascinating. Because like, <laughs> I think it's, again, I know we don't rate episodes, but, like, I think it's a solid, like, six and a half for, like, gentle why are you, seven out of ten. Why are you rating it out of ten? That is too complicated for me. Rate it at, Okay, rate. it's, like, a solid, like, three out of five. Okay, thank you. But, like, it's... Three it's and a like, quarter. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> fine. But, like, there are individual moments I really like, but it's, like, they feel like yeah. they're from other episodes. Right. I like the, um, I do, like, the the Jake and the Miles stuff is probably my favorite. Like, him just showing up, like, calm the boys down so much. Like, as soon as they saw him, they were like, oh, my God, we're safe. Like, an adult is here. And it just, like, he instills well, confidence. Just an adult. It's, it was... like, his dad vibes, too, right? Oh, totally. No, totally. A trusted adult is here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I did think um, I thought it was kind of funny that they tried to like give that captain that came to visit like a little bit of a personality like as an asshole I guess and that he and um, Dax apparently like don't love each other <laughs> that much <laughs> um, yeah. and then I just like didn't care about that at all I don't really have much else to say about the episode at large but I will be requiring no, me either. Like it's there's some good stuff. There's yeah. some like interesting stuff. Um, turns out, spoiler alert, Eris is actually part of the Dominion, and her locking mechanism was a fake. Dun dun dun. Um, which is like a big kind of what the fuck? What's gonna happen at the end? That like sets us up for the next season. We've destroyed a galaxy-class ship. Jillian was like, we got these little runabouts. We fought the Maquis. And Captain Keo's like, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited that we've done two seasons and and to carry on, I guess. Is there any kind of concluding thoughts on the episode before we move to our regular scheduled segments? Um, Not enough Kira and Dax. Yeah, give us more Kira. Give us more Kira and Dax. Well... Elise, we've been recording for a minute. Well, I have been 
drinking during this podcast. I am also feeling hydrated. So, I could go for some Altair Water Thirst Quencher. I don't know about you. Who are you thirsting for this week on Deep Star Trek Deep Space Nine? No one for myself, but Quoto in general. Um, Odo was so interested in being there to help rescue Quark. Like, Kira, or so was like, was it Kira? Somebody was like, you don't have to do this. And he was like, oh no, who else am I going to fight or flirt with if Quark dies? Is basically (laughs) what he said. (laughs) So I was very amused by that. What about you? Okay, so Eris, more like Eros as an erotic, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. Um, Eris was hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know she's lying and she's deceiving, but like... I mean, that doesn't um, hurt, actually. <laughs> no, it's like, she, and like, I don't know if it's because like, she lets on and like, gives us a little hint into like, who the Jem'Hadar are on in the Dominion and knows more obviously even more than she lets on to ben and 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 quark but like i kind of got like mommy dom vibes from her i don't know about you i didn't think about it on that granular of a level um okay (laughs) well please future matter melissa delete that out no just kidding (laughs) no i'm just i'm just teasing you but i was very much like oh she's real cute but and i don't trust her and that makes her hotter um speaking of cute though when julian was like sweet summer child is like we fought the marquee we can help in our little runabouts it's like oh sweet summer child you're so cute i want to i just want to give you a hug and, mm-hmm. and a tender kiss on the forehead Aww. Oh, julian, julian would love a tender kiss on the forehead i think yeah i'm not garrick though so i don't know how he'd like me to kiss him up tenderly on the forehead you could just put a lizard mask on and you're set have you seen that like in the like fanfic community speaking of headcanons that there's this whole idea that cardassians have a tail so yeah you'll see like a lot of like garrick Bashir fan art with like garrick with like a tail it's like super cute that is really cute and a tail is something that simon snow spoiler alert for the simon snow uh series but um that character gets a tail and it's really cute, and they put it on the artwork for like book, for like the books, and it's really, those are boy romances, and they're so good. Those are the rainbow rounds. Yeah, I think you would like them. Like Harry Potter's probably. So I know, yeah, um, the concept. The pod, Melissa really likes them. Yeah, so like the concept, the the real real quick, Simon Snow is the. Okay, let me back up real quick. Okay, there's this book called fangirl and it's about this girl and her twin sister and well the main character and they go to college and she writes fan fiction and she writes fan fiction about simon snow which is like their universe's version of harry potter but it's like they'd like change it enough for like copyright things so like they go to school for eight years instead of seven and it's called magic not wizards and blah 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 um, Similar to, but legally distinct from. Yeah, yeah it's not um, muggles, it's normals, or something like that. Um, but, so... God bless lawyers. <laughs> right. But, so that's the book Fangirl. 
Rainbow Rowell loved writing that book so much that she decided to write her own trilogy about Simon Snow, the character in the book, the first book. You don't have to read Fangirl to, like, read them at all. So, like, the first bit of the first book is, like, years one through seven, and then it's, like, the rest of the book is year eight, and it's just really cute and very gay and, like, not... You know, like, it's not censored. <laughs> I mean, okay, let me rephrase that. It's definitely, like, young adult, but, like, with cursing. So it's not, like, I don't mean to say that it's, like, I don't remember it being, like, super graphic or anything. <laughs> I haven't read it in a while. But it's not, like, erotica or anything. But, yeah, um, it's really charming. And um, Simon has a best friend named Penny, who I love. And Baz is... Instead of getting assigned into a house, you get assigned a roommate. (laughs) It's very silly. Everyone go read Simon Snow. Carry on a wayward son. That's the third book. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Yeah, because that's like what a lot of the books are based on. They're like lines from... That Kansas song, right? Well, it's not actually it's like Kansas. Carry On and then Wayward Son. So, yes, but no. Um, they the way they do spells in in this world is by song is song lyrics. Oh, <gasps> why did no one ever tell me this before? Yeah, you have to read them. All right, at least what was your nominee for the most Star Trek thing of this episode? Okay, we got some really, 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 really good Star Trek battle jolting from pretty much every vessel in this episode, and that made me so happy. Sorry for that bumping that we'll have to lead out later. I was just jolting in my chair. <laughs> Are you? Did you survive? Um, uh, I yes, I did. Good. I love a good ship jolting. Um, and this episode had plenty of that. What about you? I had no nominee for most Star um, Trek thing of the episode because, spoiler alert, I did not rewatch it. So I watched it like several weeks ago when we were originally going to rewatch it. And then <laughs> you could just co sign mine. Like you did. Yeah, I just co sign yours. All right. Until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? <clears throat> yes, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E L Y S E underscore T E N D I. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at, at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths. You can email us together at PodWraiths at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.